Hey, welcome to episode 142 of the Bobby Cast, which we brought in Gator Harrison, the program director of our Nashville radio station. He didn't even know he's coming in for this. <laughs> and I'm frightened. No, you shouldn't be. Also, Eddie uh, from the radio show is here, too. Thanks for letting me sit in. Well, you can be a part of this if it's you kinda want. kind of cool. Well, so... Gator, you ever listen to any of the Bobbycast episodes? Have you heard yeah, of them? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. It's always kind of behind the scenes stuff. So I kind of want to talk to you about what a radio program director does. Oh, wow. Okay. Because, like, I kind of know, and even I don't really know. Sure. Uh, you probably I, know. But more I kind of know. But I, I think a lot of our listeners, and we talk to so many songwriters and we talk about music. So that's why I'm glad you were able to hop down downstairs where the peons live. <laughs> Whatever. Gator works upstairs. You kidding me? These are the cool kids' room, man. Yeah, Sometimes y'all let me come in here. It's cool. Episode 142 brought to us by Sleep Number. So let me talk about sleep number for one second. I have a sleep number. You know, I do the show from my house, and I do have a sleep number bed, and I love it. Think about sleep number is, and think about just your bed period. If you have a better bed, you sleep better, and if you sleep better, it's more energy. You feel sharper. You're just in a better mood, and I can tell you, you'll be more productive, and if you're more productive, and that's how, as Lunchboxers say, you make that cheddar. Isn't that right, Eddie? <laughs> yeah, yeah, the money. The new sleep number 360 smart bed helps everyone from parents to pro athletes Improve their daily performance through proven quality sleep. So many couples disagree on mattress firmness. The Sleep Number Bed lets you choose your ideal firmness on each side so it's right for both of you. The new beds are so smart, they sense your every move and they automatically adjust right to you, keeping you sleeping comfortably throughout the night. Go in now during the fall sale and save 100 bucks on the Queen Sleep Number 360 C2 Smart Bed, now only $899. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the NFL. You'll only find Sleep Number at one of the 550 Sleep Number stores nationwide. Visit sleepnumber.com slash bones, and you can find the one nearest you. Just head over there, sleepnumber.com slash bones. Find the Sleep Number store nearest you. Go in, test it out. I do believe you will love it. So, By the way, my sleep score last night, 92. Oh, 92. Look at that. He has it on his yeah, phone. I do. Absolutely. I don't even have mine on my app. I just re- I like do you. Yeah. You oh, do. It's legit. It's I, so I told you to get a Sleep Number, too. I was like, dude, trust you me. You did. Trust me. Okay, so here, uh, Gator Harrison, yeah, program director. What is, first of all, what? I'm going to act like I'm five because I read these things on Reddit and they're called um, Explain Like I'm Five. Sure. Yeah. So because if I wasn't sitting here, I would definitely wouldn't know what a program director does. So like I'm five years old, what is a program director of a radio station? It's a little tough to kind of explain. Um, it's essentially anything that comes out of the radio has got to go through the, the program director's desk. So whether it's uh, music trying to figure out what songs uh, that listeners, whoever your target audience is, whoever your target demographic is, whatever listener you're trying to go get, what music do they love, do they care about, do they consume, doing the math around that and then making sure you play that with the right strategy. That's, that's a big part of it. What about like the, the voice guy stuff? Yeah, absolutely. It's basically the image or the brand of a radio station. So think about any product. It's, it says something. It stands for something. It means something. So for your radio station, you got to identify what it, what is what is it you stand for. What is it that makes you different from all the other radio stations? Figuring out that the the brand, and then writing things around what that brand would say or stand for, and that's essentially the the voice guy or the imaging that you hear on the radio station. So a big part of it as well. I mean, revenue. It all comes down to ratings, revenue, and and um, you know, digital and, and that sort of thing too, as well. So it's a big part. I mean, commercials, even commercials. I, I I'll get emails going. Hey, is it okay to run this commercial on the radio station? Does it line up with the brand? So there are commercials you'll have to say no to because yeah, well, like what would be something that doesn't line up with a brand? Uh, I think being sensitive to a situation, uh, like in Nashville, we had uh, uh, a shooting incident at the Waffle House, and and there was um, an advertisement for guns. And it was like, no, we appreciate it, and I'm a gun owner myself, 
but that doesn't fit what right now is happening on the station and in the community. When you think about country music, I mean, we're all about yeah. owning guns, but that wasn't the right moment for that for that commercial. And Do you, you get pushback from that from like sales staff? Where they'd be like, hey, sure. man, we're trying, we always have guns. Why can't we do it now? So I would think in that situation, no, not a lot of pushback. There is times where you will get it. Like if it's um, an adult novelty store or a condom commercial or something like that that you don't feel like is, is appropriate play for middle of the day in the car when you might have the kids with you and, and then you compromise and say, okay, after 10 p.m. at night, I'm good with it or after 7 or whatever it oh, is. Oh, wow. So you'll day part... Even the commercials sometimes. that are on. Yeah, sometimes. If it doesn't line up with the brand or the, again, if it's just something that's a little questionable or you don't want to have that conversation with your kids. Because I'm a parent. i got a five-year-old and a 12-year-old, and I'm fine <laughs> with the condom commercials myself. But if my five-year-old is going, hey, Dad, what's a condom? Ah, I'm not really ready to have that conversation. I don't want to put my listeners in that same kind of situation. Does well, that make sense? I guess my question is what? What's a condom? <laughs> <laughs> like you're a five-year-old. <laughs> uh, uh, so, okay, so you've been a program director for how long? Oh, um, geez, uh, 25 plus years. Wow, I've really? been in radio for 32, and I was in radio, yeah, a few years before I became a program director. Yeah. How old are you? I'm 47 next month. You might be month. the youngest, coolest 47-year-old. Like, doesn't oh, he look up. like he's about 35? That's For sure, yes. Say. He looks really young, and he acts young. He doesn't act like an old dude. I appreciate you saying that. And you don't that. look old. You started where? Uh, I started in uh, when I was 15 years old uh, in my hometown, which is Sparta, Tennessee. Um, and I, I actually uh, my, I have an older brother that's in radio. And so I would go hang out at the radio station and think, pfft. Get paid for doing this? Are you kidding me? Like, I'm in. And this was in the days where you had albums on the wall and you were playing the rotary pot boards. If you don't know radio, you have no clue what I'm talking about. But you know what I'm saying? It's like old, old school. You got Q-Burn on albums. It was that kind of radio station. But I love music, and so I just knew I wanted to be a part of music. So at 15, uh, my older brother came and got a job in Nashville. I took over his slot at the Classic Rock Station when I'm 15 years old, trying to sound like I'm a smoking 44-year-old, right? Who, who knows who the crap Led Zeppelin is, right? Or the Eagles or the Doobie Brothers or all these <laughs> artists. So that was my musical education. But I, I literally would go in at 6 in the morning, work until 8, uh, be late for my first period class in high school, uh, get out of school, basketball practice, back to the radio station, and I would do either afternoons or nights, depending upon what the need was. And I would sit there and do my homework. Like I, I, honestly, it, it's uh, it's crazy to look back and think. But when you love something so much, you don't think about Bobby. You can attest to it. When you love it, it doesn't feel as much like work. So you can devote your life to it. So you become a program director for the first time. And how old? Yeah. Uh, oh, well, I mean, essentially then. <laughs> I mean, you did everything at that radio station. You did production, which was doing the commercials. You did figure it out. There was a, a music wheel, so it was like what based on the color was what the era of music that you played, but you could pick anything off the wall that you wanted to. So I was actually training to be a program director at that time, but I didn't know I was. I think uh, the first legitimate shot that I got, I spent six years from 90 to 96 in Nashville um, while I was going to MTSU. Uh, I became a music director at that point. Um, and uh, John Ivey, who shout out to him, who's in LA, was the first guy that made me a music director. And uh, in 1995, gave my heart to Jesus, uh, said, hey, the outrageous FM and all the stunting and everything that was going on was not where I felt like my heart was. Um, and I got a call from my hometown radio station in Cookville, Tennessee, which is a neighbor of Sparta, a country station, you want to come program it. 
Sure. And so that was, geez, I was 20-something years old. Yeah. How does someone get a song on the radio now? If someone just yeah. they have, they have a song, like people want to know, like, how does a song get on? Uh, you know, it's in the 50s, because I will still get mail from people who are a songwriter or they've done, because now you can do a demo in your in your house, right, on your computer. And people will still drop off stuff, and, and God love them. It's like, it, it can be good, but you can't just stick that on the radio, right? So I, I think you have to have uh, your plan, right? I mean, I, I can say that, you know, you get your pub deal if you're a writer or whatever, and you get a label deal, and they work the records. That's essentially how it happens on a mass level. And there are those rare exceptions. I remember uh, Old Dominion coming in and not having a, a, a record deal, but hearing them and seeing them and said, you know what, I'm going to play that anyway. But they still had to have a management company that believed in them, that saw something. And there had to be some A&R involved, right, to say that there is something here. And I think in today's age, it's a lot of times – not even the labels are leading it. It's listeners out there finding and consuming music, right? Because consumption is a is a big deal. So what are they out there looking for and they are finding? And, and that can sometimes point in the right direction of an artist that may not be relevant today, but could be relevant two years from now with the right team around them. Does so, that make sense? Yeah, you're saying if you see something where someone's or a group is consuming a song so much, you may not look at the artist right now, yeah. but, but that's a thing to you that you'll see them again in a year, a year and a half, two years, because if they're being consumed so much, other people are coming to them as well. Absolutely. Uh, managers. And yes. then by the time it comes around, you already know them. Yeah. Or if it's somebody that I don't think has a management deal yet that I've heard or, or discovered on my own, and I think they're good, I'll pass their name along. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I, so I've spent, um, I spent six years in Chattanooga. Ironically enough, Lauren Elena and Kane Brown uh, we're in Fort Oglethorpe, Georgia, which is essentially part of Chattanooga. So we were playing Lauren when it was Lauren Suddeth, <laughs> right, uh, on our little hometown backwoods. Before American show. Idol? Before American Idol. She hit American Idol, and then, of course, we were Lauren Champs from then on. But even uh, Kane, I remember Kane Brown didn't have a deal. And he had this, he had just started posting, you know, is when he had, had not made the reality shows that he had tried out for, hadn't done well, or stepped away when they wanted to put him in a boy band on one of the shows. Uh, but he was releasing his music online, and this crazy following was there. And then you're like, oh, where did all these people come from? How, how did they know about him, right? But it got your attention. You said, okay, i got to figure out what this dude's about. And so we started looking at Kane Brown music, and I remember sitting in a parking lot, and I heard used to love him, uh, used to love you sober, and to me that was like that was the most commercial thing I'd ever heard from him to that point. And so we started playing that song, um, and then again came today. Not that it was us, but it's it's paying attention to little things even before it gets to your desk from a label. I think. So if there are songwriters or th that want to be artists or artists that have started the process, they're like, man, I just can't get my stuff on the radio. What would you say to them? Oh, it, one I would say just. Be uniquely yourself and build a following. If it's if it's I've, I've got a nephew who's in the music industry, and I said, you know, whether you're playing to ten people or ten million people, do it authentically to who you are and create something that you're proud of, and then build out from that. Right. So those ten people become a hundred people, and you tour those cities and you build your following that way. I think. Now, when you come to a label, you've got to have something. You can't just come with a great song. You've got to come with, hey, I've got, I'm, I'm, I'm pulling in this many people right now are coming to shows in this region or in this city or 
anywhere I go, right? I think you have to build that following touring uh, before you can really get your shot, unless it's just you know something crazy in the consumption world. Kane was that he never really built a touring following, but he built a following online. Florida Georgia Line did that too. Florida Georgia Line, same way. Yeah. Uh, on the on the flip side, someone like Brantley Gilbert built it through touring through the southeast. Oh, yes. Yeah. And he would just sell out massive shows. Yeah. And you would go, what's ha- what's happening here? Something must exactly. be happening. Right. Yeah. Because a lot of people are coming, and it's before Brantley had a big deal. Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, I'll give you a real-time example. Cody Johnson is kind of one of those guys who's being – he kind of got his start in Texas, built a regional following – but he's playing a show in Nashville and gotten very little radio play, and it's like 1,200 people that sold out show. How did they find out about him? How do they know about this guy? So there's different ways to, to find your audience. And I would say if you're just getting started, find your audience, whoever that is, and then build on that. So how does it go for you to actually add a song to the radio? Because I imagine you're getting yeah. lots of calls from everybody and their cousin. Sure. Um, lots of, of different metrics that, that, uh, that you look at. Um, metrics, the overused word in our industry, by the way, right now. Uh, the label obviously has an agenda. You've got... Uh, like record labels. Record labels have a, an agenda. They have a, a roster of artists that they are promoting different projects at any given time. And then you've got... Uh, you've got your superstars that are coming out with songs and who have a history that your artist or your listener wants to know what the new Tim McGraw song is and when's the album coming out. So you have to pay attention to those things. Uh, but when you're trying to figure out, you know, what is going to be the next song on the radio station, I'll look at um, everything from the history of the artist. What is the brand and relevancy of the artist right now? Uh, and then I'll look at consumption. Uh Sales as well, right? But consumption is one of those things that it's it's kind of one of those gray areas that I think PDs are trying to figure out. Like what's an on-demand stream versus a regular stream? And then how do I really equate that versus sales? And where does all of that information fall out? Um, and everybody kind of has their own little mad science as to what it is. But, you know, consumption per spend is something big to look at. If you're If it's only getting spun a certain amount of times, and people are going out and buying it and consuming it and streaming it, and it's on their on-demand playlist and that sort of thing, it makes a difference. You can usually tell what's going to be a hit based on what's getting consumed today. It's weird you talk about streaming because even just with me and when I look at music, and I look at it a different way than you do, Yeah. Um, I you can't believe streaming numbers a lot of the time right. because if yeah. things get playlisted, they just get played. It doesn't Absolutely. mean people like them. Yeah. Yeah, and we are obviously even talking to somebody about how uh, they were talking about how um, you know on-demand streams could be like on a playlist, like Spotify, for example. And if people are listening to that at work, right, the skip rates and stuff count, right? If it gets skipped within thirty seconds, it doesn't count. But if you're at work and you're just streaming that in the background, you're not taking the time to skip. You're doing right. your job, right? And I, I think, and people are just doing life. Even if you're listening to playlists, you're just doing life, and you're not taking the time to really give consistent feedback. But consistency, I think, is the key, right? You're going to have spiked weeks in streaming and that, but you can certainly see it's an indicator of, of hits to come. You can even buy streams. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which people are doing. Yeah. And Stream listen, numbers? Yeah. Wow. Well, and, and back in the day, what, seven years or so ago, yeah. I bought 5,000 Twitter followers. And yeah. 
I was like, wow, it opened my eyes to the world of buying followers. Since then, Twitter got all smart and wiped them all away. <laughs> I'm so I can't do that. I was like, I paid for those, man. <laughs> yeah. But what I used to do- What did too, that cost? Uh, Can you say? Yeah, like 30 bucks back in the day. Ooh. But this is what I did that was stupid because the New York Times put me in the story about people that bought Twitter followers. Yeah. And mine was so small, they didn't really, they just had my name in it. But I, what I used to do, and I'm glad they didn't put it in there, is I used to buy all my, I used to bomb them with Twitter followers, meaning they would just wake up and have 5,000 extra followers. And they'd be like, what did I do? Because I thought it was the funniest joke ever. <laughs> So I was buying Twitter followers, and I was glad they didn't Stop put it. all my friends in there, too. <laughs> Everyone gets called out. Luckily, it was just me, because it was other radio and TV people. I would buy them, for, and I would sometimes I'd do 10,000, and I'd send them over, to, and, and they'd be like, Why did I have to, what did I do? Am I in the news? So that was a funny joke to me. But you can buy YouTube views. I didn't realize that. Really? really? Easily. Yeah. Nothing, you can't believe, any, in my mind, Yeah. the only thing you can believe is ticket sales. Yeah. To me, now yeah. you, you're I mean, you can manipulate you can manipulate those as well, really, but I, much harder, right? If yeah. I can see eyeballs at a place, like if I can see, yeah. you know, but again, you're looking at music different than I am. You're looking at long term. You're looking at radio station health. You're looking at a sure. lot of songs. Yeah. So, but you can buy YouTube views. You can buy streams. I know people who've bought a million YouTube views on 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 videos. Right. Yeah. And so nothing is real to me, except for what I think is real, and that may not even be right. I'll be honest with you. Well, what you think is real. I think you have to uh, look at all those metrics on a consistent level, and usually you can spot those oddities. Like pops? Uh, if like you're doing it, pops. Yeah, if you're doing it on a weekly basis, you can kind of see that, because even if the labels or management can manipulate those, they don't have the money to manipulate those on every artist every week. So I think you can spot those oddities, and you certainly do, but... Um, I, I think it's also frustrating to, to me as a, as a music lover and a program director. I have to separate the two things. That's crazy frustrating. Because in my opinion, some of the best music uh, in country is not getting played or supported on country radio. And, and I, I, I don't re- – I mean, you've got your theories on why that is, but it's just uh, – it just hurts my heart sometimes to see what actually does work versus what I think should work. That's, that's a, and that's different. It's tough. It's your heart versus your head, and that's not – an easy ha- uh, conversation to have in a music meeting, right? Do you feel sometimes people are going, "Oh, radio," er, and they have the fist up, like, "Come on!" I don't think people care enough. <laughs> I think the only people that talk about terrestrial radio versus streaming versus playlisting are people that are either just mad passionate about music or in the music industry. I think most people don't have time to to care. Music is definitely a big part of their life, and it certainly. You know, it, it, it owns and captures certain moments in time for them, whether what's going on in their life when they hear a song or whatever. I mean, it's, music is important to them, but I don't know, you know, that they're listening to the radio to find out, oh, well, that's that's not uh, the, the uh, correct hit, right, that they should be playing. They just go, ah, do I like that or not? And maybe they change it, maybe they don't. Maybe they're not even paying attention because they're worried about what's for dinner and getting their kid to soccer practice on time and their boss is on their back. They just want a break, Right. I'm going to ask you coming up after this uh, 60 second commercial here about women in country. Okay. Because yeah. that, that's a hot topic right now. So I'm, I'm going to give you a second here. I'm going to talk about this. Uh, heads up, everybody. Hackers exploited a security vulnerability at Facebook. And a lot of personal information of nearly 50 million accounts were out there. These attackers, they get in. And listen, once people have your information, they can sell it, they can use it. You know, with your personal info from a data breach, criminals can do things like open accounts or file tax returns or even crazy things you wouldn't think of like buy property. A lot of threats, but I'd tell you for me, I have LifeLock and good thing new LifeLock identity theft protection as the power of Norton security to help protect against threats to your identity and your devices. I'd tell you there have been at least four times where they've called me and said, hey, 
did you open this account? Or, hey, did you do this? And most of the times I haven't, but one time I was really stupid and I, I was like, shut it down. But I did open the account. <laughs> it wasn't good. Uh, no, no one can stop every cyber threat, prevent all identity theft or monitor transactions at all businesses. But new LifeLock with Norton Security can see threats that you might miss on your own. Go to LifeLock.com or call 1-800-LIFELOCK. Use the promo code BONES for an extra 10% off your first year plus a $25 Amazon gift card with annual enrollment. Promo code BONES. Terms apply. So... Uh, yeah, the big hot button question now is, first of all, what's the deal? Like, why as, and you're not just a program director, but recently in the last year or so, sure. you, you're now uh, vice president in the company of IRA. I don't know what the crap I am. I changed my title. And, and neither do I, right? <laughs> right. It's whatever. You both are VPs. <laughs> Whatever's going to happen. Who knows? Right. Just who knows? Yeah. So why do you think, because you kind of inherited some of this mess. Yeah. You kind of walked into it and it was already happening. Why do you think the situation was, well, there aren't a lot of women on the radio? This is one. This is a huge, huge question. Um, and and anytime you're a, a male PD and you get this topic at all, it can scare some folks. I'll just speak honestly how I see it. Right, whether it's truth or not, it's just kind of my version or my vision of what's happened. I mean, you can go back to the '90s and you can see that there certainly were uh, strong females with great songs and and great brands and great vocals. I think we went through uh, an, an, um, a period of time in country music to where we had great female singers, but not truly great female artists. And that might upset some people, but that's just how I see it. And then I think over that time, there became this subconscious kind of blindness from program directors seeing all of these female acts that didn't connect, didn't work, didn't happen. And then it, it kind of made this subconscious kind of uh, stereotype that, oh, if I add this female record, it's going to take forever to, to have. So I think that's one part of it. I think another aspect of it is, uh, listen, I, just, I, I live with uh, two daughters and a wife, and there's always drama at my house. <laughs> and so I think there is something to be said with country music being driven by female listenership of 54, you know, 55 percent in some cases that – uh, the the women have to like you, and not all women like women. And I know people hate to hear that, but I think that is a, a part of it. Now, I will say I think that's changing, and it's changing because it's become a big conversation, not only in country music, but with the Me Too movement and this women empowering thing. And I, I love it as a dad of two daughters. I am all about it. So I think that's that's part of it as well. Um, because I don't think PDs, we want to play stuff that works. I agree with we that We want to play hits. Too. That part of it, it, yes. As a radio program director, or even me, listen, I just want to play what helps me get the best ratings yes. so I can have food. Like <laughs> right. That, yeah. Essentially, that's what it is. Now, I came in into country music after you did. And so from my perspective, what I saw is something working that was a sound that was so male now, yeah. this is after what you're talking yeah. about. So I didn't see any of this. But what I saw sure. was such a male sound working. And what happens, not even just music, not radio, but anywhere, in any industry, if something is working, everybody chases to it. It's like a magnet. Yes, 100%. And yeah. they try to reproduce it so they can then make that money. Yeah. Because yeah. it's all about money. I've never met one person who goes, you know what? Just not into female voices. <laughs> never. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. But you can say yeah. that about traditional country. Yeah. You know, there are a lot of artists. They're like, where's the traditional country? Well, people were chasing this one sound that drowned a lot of that out. Sure. Yeah. You know, and 
I would credit people like Florida Georgia Line with doing a separate new thing that yes. made everybody else go to it. And they get kind of, you know, ball bashed a little bit, but they did their own thing. Yes. They didn't create a movement to nope. piss everybody off. Uh-uh. They created their own sound that was huge. Yes. And then everybody copied them. And then because they were the trailblazer, they get hated on. Sure. Yeah. So what I saw was nothing about holding people down, anyone, bands, because there's a thing about bands. There aren't any bands on the radio. Right. There aren't, there's not traditional country. There's not. But it became a cycle of everybody trying to mass produce the one or two things that really, really worked. Yes. And it yeah. just covered the whole radio spectrum. And now we're trying to dig our way out of it. But I believe it affected the culture, too, because once everything is working this way, you're trying to develop more of that. Yeah. And th- therefore, there wasn't development of traditional country, female mm. artists, bands. <laughs> and so you're chasing that. And I think the culture in the last couple of years has changed. And now we're just now starting to see the bloom from the seeds. Absolutely. From yeah. the last cut. But I again, I'm coming in after you. Yeah, no. That's what I see. And and listen, a few years ago, I mean, this is all in my five, almost, wow, almost six years now, huh? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, time February, on, six man. years. So here's the, and can I, so a couple of other thoughts on this topic too, right? To your point of chasing what's working, we, we always talk about the percentage of how, how much females are played versus males on country radio. Look at the labels. How many male artists do they have versus female artists? Absolutely. So, People so go after radio. Yeah, we can't play 50-50 if we're not being – I mean, 98% of what we get from our play on the radio is coming from a label. <laughs> if that number is off – and then I will say maybe it's not even the label's fault. Think if you're a songwriter over the past 10 years. If you write a, a hit song for a female, what does that do versus a hit song for a male? So if you're a songwriter and you got to write songs to feed your family – and male artist songs are working better than female artist songs. Who do you write the song for? So I think there's a there's a mm-hmm. bigger it's conversation. A culture, it's, a, it's a culture 100%. shift, and cultures yeah. don't shift quickly. No, it doesn't. They no. shift. So this industry is following the consumer, right? Like, do we do what the consumer I wants? I think what everyone the does what the consumer yeah. wants in every yeah. industry whatsoever. Period. That's a reason, like. Cam's Burning House. That's the reason it was able to maintain is because yep. people just kept buying it. Yes, yep. they wanted it. Absolutely. And there were times when research was happening and it wasn't great for Cam. But people just kept buying it. Yeah. And you waited it out and all of a sudden you're like, oh, we, everyone was right. It was an amazing song. Because yeah. once in a while you try to push something that you think consumers would like and it just doesn't, they don't eat it. Like they don't want it. It's just they don't, they don't yeah, like it. Oh, yeah, it. of course. I've yeah. done that many times. And yeah. so you're right. So that's the thing where you're just like, okay, this, you stop doing what you think you're supposed to be doing and just follow what they want from you what's yeah. the what's the change what, what what needs to happen gator oh um listen <laughs> for for more females to, to be yeah, recognized sure. or, and, or and play. not even just females but for any of those females so we're we're best when we're broad right and i think the way we get broad is people creating authentic music and not afraid to be different right and i think just like if you're a, a songwriter or an A&R person at a label or you're a label president or you're the PD of a, of a radio station or you're the morning guy over 100-plus radio stations, you're going to get it right sometimes and you're going to get it wrong sometimes. But I, I think it starts with just being authentic, being real, finding the best song and delivering that to an audience that gives a crap. And if they give a crap, trust me, everybody else will give a crap. Mm-hmm. What is it like being a program director with a, and I, I mean, I, I'm your example, but with a show sometimes that you have trouble reining in? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a good question, Bobby. Yeah. Um, think about uh, how would you rein in your kids? 
right? I know you you haven't gotten there yet in your life, but this will make sense to you when you do, right? You love your kids. You care about your kids. You wish you could make decisions for your kids, but you can't. And you're always going to forgive your kids, but you're always going to try to steer them in the best direction that you think is best for them. So same way, right? Uh, in this case, it's it's we don't have those conversations at bedtime prayer, right? But we set a meeting weekly, and we just talk. And I try not to talk about everything that they're <laughs> that I don't agree with. They're You're talking about you and general morning shows, not me, you and me. Me and morning shows, right? Me and the, uh, whoever's doing middays or afternoons or nights. I think your job as a program director is to essentially make everybody around you better. That's your goal. And and my goal is to not just make them better so that I benefit. It's to get them to wherever their goal and their dreams are. So setting up those conversations, being honest and authentic in those conversations, and making sure that they know you give a crap about them more so than their performance. And I think if they see that in you, then I think they're more in line to follow you, to listen to you, and to essentially become a better version of themselves on, on the radio. What is it like working with this show specifically, me, this show? Because it, we're not on just your radio station, which has got to be no. difficult for you at times. Oh, uh, I, you know, uh, um, so this was the first time that I'd ever worked with a, a morning show that <laughs> that I had to share, really, right? Um, I, I think, obviously, your, your time is, is – is <laughs> you don't have any of it, right? So having a morning show that's shared with other markets versus having your own guy that I can go to and say, listen, you're doing this regardless – I can't really do that with you because I have to be uh, mindful of the bigger picture when it comes to the Bobby Bones show, right? So there's a little of that. There's sometimes that we'll disagree. Dude, there was some one time that I was trying to be that big brother for you, and I sent you a text based on something y'all were talking about on the air, and then you read it on the air as, this PD's telling me how to do my job. I'm like, no, that's not. That wasn't what I was trying to do. I was trying to be your body and go, hey, have you thought about this perspective of the topic you're talking about? So there's those moments that I'm going, Bobby, what the crap, dude? I thought we were buddies. What are you doing? But you're just, you know, doing your thing. So there's those moments that are challenging. But I honestly, uh, I, I love it because when I, when I listen to your show, I, I don't know exactly what's going to happen. And to me, that's what makes it interesting. It's always compelling. <laughs> you know, there are sometimes I roll my eyes and there are sometimes that I just, you know, uh, enthusiastically <laughs> throw my fist in the air, fist for the fans, because I hear something that's so brilliant. So uh, I, I don't know that that answers your question. I don't know that I can answer your question, to be honest with you. Yes, Eddie? Yeah, well, I have a question. Do you trust Bobby? Like, or do you? Is that a thing as a program director to put a lot of trust in the morning show host? In this case, Bobby. Like, do you? How much trust do you have in him? Oh, well, if, uh, you're putting all your trust in whoever the morning uh, guy is because it leads the whole radio. So you're the face of the radio station. And by the way, if you do something incredibly stupid, you don't just suffer for it. We all suffer for it, right? Because if it tanks the morning's ratings, it tanks the station's ratings. It tanks the station's ratings. The uh, market president's going, hey, what the crap? Why are you down three shares? If, it, if I'm down three shares long enough, they're going to go, hey, we're going to find a different program director. Good luck with you and your family. And by the way, I work in an industry that's sort of entertainment industry, so I have no pension. There is no union. I have no retirement except for what I lay up for myself. And so there's, yes, you have to trust not only who's doing mornings. You have to trust everybody on the radio station. I think that's what makes a good family, right, uh, is just being able to trust each other and encourage each other. Hmm. Well, is there anything we haven't touched on? Um, I, I wanted to know if Gator's ever broken an artist. Like, 
we talked about breaking artists and going on a, going out on a limb, taking a risk. Is there anyone that you can um, say I take credit for? Oh, Blake yeah. Shelton, whatever. One, there's nothing, none that I would take credit for. I mean, I think you. There's been those moments where I've recognized it earlier uh, than other program directors might have. But by the time it gets to me, the consumers have already <laughs> discovered it. The A&R people or the teams around them, the management folks, they've already discovered it, right? So I don't know that I've been the guy that said, oh, here's a kid on the street. I'm going to make him, you know, the next Garth, right? But, uh, again, those uh, Lauren, before she was a star, you, she just, her vocals were just so sick, right? So we were supporting and playing her uh, Kane before he had a record deal. Uh, Old Dominion, before they had a record deal, we decided to stick their song. I, I haven't done that a ton. I'm just, I'm a pretty conservative guy when it comes to music. Um, but those would be the three that would stand out that says, I, I wouldn't take credit for them by any means, but I was certainly one of the early believers. Well, listen, I know we pulled you down here. I gave you like a 15 minute heads up. I didn't even, you tell, didn't even tell me what it was. I didn't tell him what it was. Like, hey, can you come back down? He was like, like yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he think he, he thought he was walking into a meeting or something. Oh, I'm so stressed out, man. I'm one of those. I'm like, I've got to prepare for things. I got to know what we're and talking I knew, about. And, and I, I knew no that idea. was the case, too. And yeah. I knew you'd be like, Ugh. but I feel like you answered everything honestly. Do you feel well, good? You feel good about this or no? Sure. Yeah. No, listen, I, I, I'm honored uh, that. Um, one, I think a lot of you and I respect you, and uh, we probably have more in common than you even realize. Uh, but just for you to even give a, a crap what I think, uh, to put me on the Bobby cast, it's an honor. And I want you to know I'm just not saying, I, I don't just say things. I, I really mean that. So thank you for, for caring and put me on the Bobby cast. I believe him. Mm. I, listen, <laughs> I'm just sort of, I'm just short of saying I love you. I yeah. <laughs> you were about to, I think. Just short of it. Gator, thanks. I really appreciate uh, appreciate you coming down, and you, I think a lot of people want to know those things. I don't know about anyone else, but I learned a lot. Did you? Yeah, I yeah. learned a lot about what he does. I see him every day, but I don't know what he does. You don't even know his name until I was Not like, really. Hey, I, re- I still don't really even know your real name. I don't think. Episode 142 of the Bobby Cast. Gator, thank you. Eddie, thank you. thanks for uh, sitting over there. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. It's a good. It's a good. Set. I loved sitting it's here watching this. All right. We'll see you next time. Bye, everybody.